0: Words, right, It was never God's intention to save all of Israel. It was through Isaac that your descendants would be named. It was Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. It was the spiritual line. As God told Moses, chapter 9, verse 15, that I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Chapter 10, Paul changes it a little bit. He says, Israel didn't believe in the Messiah because of their own failure to believe and rather than pursuing the righteousness of God which is by faith they they sought to pursue it by works Romans chapter 10 verse 3 is a good summary being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not subject themselves to God's righteousness in other words right they were ignorant of God's righteousness they they thought that they could do the works of a law to they obtained that righteousness, and therefore they, they failed to obtain it. And and in chapter ten we see over and over this the, the same theme of how they failed. They failed. They, they they've heard it, but they've not they've not got it, they've not called upon the Lord. And as we close out chapter ten, we see Paul repeating the same question. Right? Did Israel not understand? Did they not understand the gospel? Did they not understand that they are saved, not by keeping the law, but by, by trusting Jesus by faith and by, by faith alone? They, in chapter, in verse 18, we saw last week, says, I ask, have they not heard? And the answer here is, indeed they have. Their voice has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Yes, they have heard. But the question this morning isn't a matter of hearing. It's a matter of comprehension. Did Israel understand the gospel? What is difficult is on one hand they did and they rejected it. On the other hand, they didn't because they didn't fully believe it. Let's read our text. Romans chapter 8, chapter 10 rather, 19 through 21. Did Israel understand the gospel? Here it goes. But I ask, Paul writes, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a, a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now the structure of these verses is really, really quite simple. Uh, Paul asks the question in verse 18, did Israel not understand? And then he follows up with three answers. Uh, The first answer comes in verse 19. The second answer comes in verse 20. And the third answer comes in verse 21. You can even see it there in verse 19. He says, first, Moses says. And then, secondly, he says, in verse 20, he says, then. And then he continues on with his third answer. So one question. Three answers, and each of these answers, by the way, come by way of an Old Testament quote. In verse nineteen, it's a quote from Deuteronomy thirty-two and verse twenty-one. In uh, verse twenty, it's Isaiah sixty-five verse one. Then continues Isaiah sixty-five verse two with the with the next answer. Now it, it, the structure is clear, but the meaning is is difficult. To understand, it's, it's, it's difficult to understand exactly why it is that Paul would answer that way and how it is that he's, he's getting at that. And so, well, this morning, rather than just giving you the point, I want to just work through it a little bit, and my, my points of my message will come kind of a, a little later if we, as we have uh, looked along. So, let's look at the first answer, right? Did not Israel understand? First, Moses says this I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, with a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. So you scratch your head, maybe, as I did this week, and just said, how is it that that answers that question? Did not Israel understand? And Paul says, I'll make you jealous. I'll make you angry. Well, I think this is what he's getting at a little bit. Um, God said through Moses that he was going to make Israel jealous of another nation. That's the Gentiles. Look over chapter 11, verse 11, because he's going to bring up this similar theme, and I think it opens up what he's getting at in verse 19. Romans 11, verse 11. He says, So I ask, did they, that is, Israel, stumble in order they may not that they might fall? He says, by no means. It's rather through their trespass, that is, rejecting Jesus, not believing, that salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. In other words, God's plan is to extend salvation beyond the nation of Israel with a purpose to make Israel jealous in order they might realize how great God is and they might return to the Lord again. That's what verses 13 and 14 say. Look look at this. It says, Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, in so much as I'm apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order that somehow... To make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. In other words, right, the jealousy of the Jews is a path to their salvation. Alright, let me let me let me illustrate this. All right? So take a, a typical American child and uh, he's got lots of toys and you know he's got too many toys, and so some toys stay in in the closet. All right, let's 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 take Jimmy for instance. He's got he's got toys in the closet. He doesn't even know they're just coming out of his ears. He's he's got so much and uh, shelves full of games. But at home, oftentimes he's he doesn't know really what to do. And then let's take his sister. Let's call her Sarah. And Sarah is rummaging through the um, through the closet recently, and and Sarah finds the Fisher Price garage toy. And Jimmy kind of sees her pick that out and. And what Sarah does with this with this toy is that is that she takes it and she finds the car. Let's see if this is gonna stand up here. This this should stand up. Yeah. She finds the car and finds Robin Hood and puts Robin Hood in the car and and begins to kind of zoom it all around and comes over here to the to the elevator. It, well, first fills up with gas. And then brings it over here to the to the elevator and and brings it up and whoop up to the second floor and Sarah's having a great time with this, and comes up to the second floor if I get it there, and the car goes out and it's, it's in here and says, "Oh, do you want a car wash and uh, the car wash guy the car wash guy comes out and starts running through the car wash and the and the car wash dog then is scrubbing the so scrubbing the car, and it's all it's all going really well here. And then then pretty soon it goes up to the third the third level, the third whoa goes all the way up here. And, and here comes Sarah, and she's playing with the game. And then and then here it comes whoosh. Nice she starts playing. And what's happening to Jimmy? He's getting What? He's getting mad. That's right. He's getting angry. He's getting jealous. He's looking. He's saying, "Hey, that looks that looks pretty cool." And Jimmy then comes over and he realizes what he's what he's missed out on, and, and he realizes that that um, that Sarah missed the snacks. In where's this? Here he got a snack shop with, uh, with Ronald McDonald, right? Give me some snacks. And she forgot all about that. And she's not even touched upon the, the, the phone here and the repair things. And she, she doesn't even know how to play. And so she's got, he's got it. And he f- pretty much figures out, you know, this is, a, this is a pretty cool game. In fact, one of the things that Sarah didn't even get was the fact that she's, he's a little boy, right? Look at this. So she knows, he knows that we put it down here and then, whoa, kind of missed it. But, but she, he is now provoked to jealousy and realizes what a great toy he's had. And he rediscovers it and he gets it and now he starts playing with it. And that's exactly the point I think that um, Moses is making. It's exactly what Paul's getting at. Israel had God, but had forgotten how great God was it was only when another nation begins to enjoy Him that Israel's provoked to jealousy and begins to seek Him again. And that's God's plan. I believe that's the point of what Paul is bringing out in, in uh, chapter 11. And uh, this is my point. Do you understand? Do you understand how great God is? Now, when I use the word great, I'm not using it in the sense of like, like magnitude and, and majestic and infinite and grand. I'm using it rather like Jimmy might use his Fisher-Price toy. Like, that's a great toy. That, that brings great satisfaction to you, Sarah. God brings great satisfaction to all those who believe in him. As Paul said in Romans 9 and verse 33, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. There's this, there's this steadiness, this, this comfort, this Blessing that comes through believing in this great God. He's worthy of our full attention, he's worthy of our full enjoyment. And sadly, with those in the church, it's easy to become bored with God. We have our Bibles, we have our hymns, we have our stories, and all the great blessings of God become commonplace. And we can easily forget the blessing we have and put God in some back corner and seek and pursue something else. Exactly like Israel had done. Yeah, I've heard it said before, and I think this is a good illustration of it, how the the first generation fights for the truth and the second generation enjoys the truth and the third generation is bored with the truth. And the, the idea of that is that when people come to Christ from a sinful past, they're they're oftentimes in awe of their lives, of, of what God has saved them from, like saved them from the distress and the hardship and everything that was there and. And he's rescued them out. And this new life is so much greater than the, the old life. And they realize how much different their, their life would be apart from God. They, 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 they fight for the truth. They, they so much love the truth that then they push that on to their second generation, to their children. They tell them of the blessings of a Christian home. And, and by God's grace, although the children don't know the first-hand effects of sin, they, they hear it from their parents a little bit, what a, a life of blessing they have led. And they get to enjoy the truth, the second generation but without experiences of pains in their their life apart from God, they fail to have these deep-rooted convictions because it's not what they've experienced before. It's just what they've heard about. They've been told about. And so they don't really know how bad it would be. They kind of know, but it becomes commonplace to them and they forget what life would be like. And then when it comes to them raising the third generation, there's some complacency. Of course, this is how life has always been. We've always... We just always go to church. It's just always, it's good. And, and they don't realize how much blessing they have from the hand of the Lord. And soon their third generation then is like, okay, well, they're bored with the truth. And they soon drift away because they don't understand how great God is. And, and that sort of idea is, is similar to the context of what Paul is quoting in Deuteronomy 32. Moses in Deuteronomy 32 is giving his farewell sermon to the people of Israel. And uh, he's reminding them of the blessing of God. I'm just going to read a chunk from Deuteronomy 32. Remember the days of old, Moses said. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. In other words, right? Remember the days of old. Just remember the blessings of what God has done. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of people. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. Israel was special. Jacob was his people. He said he found him in a desert land and in a howling waste of the wilderness. God encircled him and God cared for him. And God kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading over its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him and no foreign God was with him. The blessing of God to Israel. He made him ride on high places in the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled with him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, the rams of Bashan and goats with the finest of wheat. And you drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape, just the, the blessings that God gives to Israel. And Moses is saying, remember those blessings and remember how good God has done, what has done for you. And then he turns in Deuteronomy 32, verse 15, he says this, but Jerusharon, but Jeshurun, that is Israel, they grew fat and they kicked. And you grew fat and stout and sleek and he forsook God who made him and he scoffed at the rock of his salvation. In other words, right, they've been greatly blessed by God, but they grew fat and they just, they rejected God. They forgot about God. They forgot the blessings that God had given upon them. And that's where God reveals His plan here in verse 21. To bring Him back, I'm going to do so by way of jealousy. I will make them jealous with those who are no people. And I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. And I just say, how easy is it for us, church, to, to do the same thing. To, to know the great blessings of God and merely to enjoy the treasures. But forget how God is to be enjoyed and how we find our satisfaction in Him how we need to realize where we are. Do you you really understand? Do you know how great God is? That he's your delight and he's your satisfaction. He's your enjoyment. But think about this. that, That the path to Israel's salvation is Gentiles so enjoying God that they provoke them to jealousy. So they might look, the Jews might look upon us and see our great blessings that we have seen from God. And that they might be stirred again to say, hey, what a great God you have. You know, our logo, our slogan as a church is that we are enjoying His grace and extending His glory. It's, it's written on the wall right up there. And that's exactly what, what uh, Paul is calling us to do with this, right? To So enjoy God's grace and extend His glory that, that we would provoke Israel to jealousy that they might believe. You realize that the belief of Israel hangs in the balance of your enjoyment of God. Maybe not personally, not individually, but in general. That's what's going to happen. Israel will be provoked to jealousy to believe that God really is great. God is great like a toy in the closet that's been cast away. It really is much better than we thought before. Well, let's move on. That's what I think the first point is all about. is about understanding God's grace. Israel didn't... I'm sorry, understanding how the greatness of God. I don't think Israel understood that. And then the second one. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, verse 20... I have been found by those who did not seek me, and I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And here Paul quotes from Isaiah 65 and verse 1. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God to save those who aren't even seeking the Lord, to rescue those who don't even realize that they're in danger and in need of rescue. Right? And we've seen this concept before at the, at the end of chapter 9. Remember when Paul begins to wrestle with the unbelief of Israel, right? In, in earnest, he does. Chapter 9 and verse 30, he says, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith? That is, they, they stumbled upon this righteousness. They, they weren't looking for it, but, but they stumbled upon it. And remember when I was preaching this, I told you the story of the, the Saddle Ridge Horde. Remember this? The, the couple was walking along their property and they, they saw something shiny and they dug up and all of a sudden they had millions of dollars on their property that they have had that they never saw before. And, and these stories are, are one of, of many. I, I could have told you about the Trier Gold hoard in Trier, Germany. It was found in September 9, 1993 when an excavator was, was digging for a construction project. Um, for an underground parking garage and soon afterwards they they found this uh, bronze cauldron that was filled with these ancient coins 2500 ancient roman coins dating back to the first century i mean we're dating back to the time jesus may have used those coins except it was in germany so probably not but but anyway during the time of jesus these these coins were the largest find of its kind we tell you they weren't seeking they were digging And they found it. I I could tell you about the Shropshire Hoard, discovered by Martin Backhouse. He's a piano tuner. And he was in the midst of maintaining the instrument. And then he he hit the keyboard a little bit and it sounded a little bit funny. And so he looked under the the keys of the keyboard and he found carefully stitched into seven cloth-bound packets 900 coins. They dated back to the 1840s, forties, nineteen. From 1847 to 1915, the coins weighed 13 pounds inside this piano. And uh, the owners were well off. They'd actually donated this piano to the local community college, and therefore they they donated all the coins to the local community college as well. But not seeking, but finding a great treasure. I can tell you the big sky hoard discovered in 2011, a stash of coins where it spent 30 years in a Montana bank vault. 220,000 Eisenhower dollars were there. They were sent straight from the Denver Mint into this uh, reserve bank in Montana. They've never been in circulation, so they're in mint condition, and they're just sitting there in this bank vault someplace. It's got to be a pretty big bank if you like. don't even know where, where all these coins are, but valued at over a million dollars. Sold to the Littleton Coin Company. Like Stories like this abound of, of people finding treasures that they weren't even looking more, for, and that's... The picture of verse 20. Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. And I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And so you say, okay, so how is this answering the question about Israel not understanding? Or did they understand? And I think that it's all here about grace. It, this is what grace is, is God revealing himself to people who don't deserve it and even people who aren't even looking for it. God orchestrating circumstances in life when, when those who are lost in their sin, they need a Savior, but they don't even know what they need and they are, are found by him. When it comes to Israel and their unbelief, I think they failed to understand this. They, under, they failed to understand the tremendous grace of God that has come upon the Gentiles, they, they thought their salvation was a matter of, of working to please God. Romans 9.31 Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, they did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they didn't pursue it by faith. But they did, as it were, by works. They were, they were working. They're trying to get this. And, but God shows His grace. I think that Israel failed in the grace. And I think the application to us is this. Do you understand? Do you understand how gracious God is? That God extends His mercy on those who don't deserve it. That God extends His mercy on those who aren't even seeking it. And and truth be told, that's where all of us are. Romans 3, verses 10 and 11 speak about all of us. Verse 9, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we've already charged. Both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, it's written in Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. There is none righteous, no, not one, No one understands and no one seeks for God. And yet God in His grace reveals Himself to wandering sinners who are are wandering in the darkness, right? Looking for something that they don't even know. In fact, uh, Paul said in, in Acts 17 that God created the world. They might grope for God, but they weren't even really groping. Isaiah 9, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the deep darkness, on them the light has shone. And how easy is it for us to forget where we stand? That we've come into God's covenant to salvation just by grace. And and that's why books are are written like like Philip Yancey's book. What's so amazing about grace? Because we need to be reminded of how gracious God is. That's why Michael Horton writes books like this. Putting amazing back into... Grace. Who does what in salvation? It's all about the sovereignty of God, the total grace of God. These books, more like these, are written, need to be written because we need to grasp and understand what Israel didn't, of how gracious God is. That's why we sing, John Newton's hymn, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We need to sing that song often because... We often easily forget the grace of God, or as we sang this morning, and can it be the same theme? How can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Do you understand God's grace? Do you understand how gracious God is? And I think that Israel's problem was that they had had forgotten God's grace. They had come to a point where they thought that, that somehow they had deserved God's favor. They thought like through their works, maybe they did or through the prestigious place of of God's special people they had. In fact, once they boasted to Jesus, Abraham's our father. We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. What are you talking about being free? We've never been enslaved. I'm like, what are you talking about? Isn't that what the whole Passover is about that you're reminded of every year? Uh, didn't you forget 400 years of your history when you were slaved slave to Egypt and you're slave now to your sin? What, what are you talking about? But they thought that they were children of Abraham, therefore they merited, they deserved, and they missed and forgot God's grace. How about you? Do you understand how gracious God is? There are stories in the Bible that, that just speak about how much God has forgiven and how we ought to extend that, that grace to others. The man has been forgiven so much but can't forgive a little bit. If you understand God's grace, you will freely extend that to others because mercy triumphs over judgment. Well, let's move on to his third answer, verse 21. Again, comes from Isaiah 65. This time, verse 2. And uh, verse 20 was from verse 1. Verse 2, But of Israel, did not Israel understand? But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. The picture here of God like this. Open arms. Ready to receive Israel back. The picture here is really of the patience of God. With outstretched arms. Ready to receive back. With a heart that's willing. Come back. Come back, O Israel. The the picture is the father and the prodigal son. The son requested half his inheritance and goes out and squanders all of it in in, uh, sinful living in foreign lands. And though the son had been disobedient and contrary, the father had open arms and was waiting and watching for the son to return. And it's no accident that when the son returns, the father saw him a long way off. That means the father was looking for him to return. And he ran after him. He pursued not only just waiting in open arms, running to pursue to grab those open arms around him and embracing him and kissing him because his heart was so softened towards his son. It's no accident that the the father dressed the son in his best robe and, and placed a ring on his hand and killed the fattened calf and celebrated because this was finally the fulfillment of all he was longing for, his arms that were open to be closed and grasped around the son that had been lost so longing for a sun return, waiting and waiting and waiting, and when the sun comes, fulfillment there. That's the exact picture that Paul presents, that Isaiah presents in Isaiah 65 1. All day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You know, it's hard to hold your hands out all day long. I mean, you, you can just try this for a while. I mean, you don't have to try it now. You might smack your person next to you. You don't need to do that. But like you hold him out. Even, even Moses, right, when, when he was fighting the war, had difficulty holding his hands up. He needed Aaron on one side and her on the other just to hold his hands up. Of course, it's figurative, right? It's, God, God could do that. But holding his hands out the whole time. I think it's a picture of the patience of God. Just waiting. Just waiting. Israel failed to understand the patience of God. Jesus said he longed. To gather the children of Israel, a hen gathers her brood under her wings. Right? just just wanting to gather, wanting to hug, wanting to gather, wanting to protect, wanting to be with. But Israel is not willing, as Matthew twenty three thirty seven. So instead, God's arms remained open. Now there several times in Romans where Paul speaks about the patience of God, and it's always implied they're awaiting, a awaiting for repentance. Waiting for repentance to come. Like like Romans 9, 22. What if God, although desiring to show His wrath and to make His power known, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? There, There you see God being patient in those He will destroy, so that He might make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which he's prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. The patience of God, waiting, not casting judgment, but waiting for Gentiles to come to faith in Christ. In his patience, God endures, waiting to bring salvation. Or Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, Do you presume upon the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. And I think, by way of application with Israel, they didn't understand that the pa- how patient God is. And the application was, right? Do you understand how patient God is? Because patience leads to repentance. If repentance isn't there, you don't understand patience because that's what the, the direction of that is. That God endures our sin, but he waits for a repentance. Uh, maybe you heard a lot in the news last week about the, the Homebolt Broncos, the Junior Hockey League from uh, Saskatchewan. Just a lot of you heard about this, right? took a two-hour drive to their playoff game. At 5 o'clock in the evening, their bus collided with a semi-truck. 14 of the 29 passengers died at the scene. Two more passed away in the hospital in the days that, that followed. And those who were killed were in their teens, early 20s. And Tim Challies, who who lives in Canada, wrote about this tragedy. And I'll just, I'll just read his article. It's really good. It's talking about the patience of God. When you understand patience, you'll come to God in repentance. This tragedy has gripped the nation of Canada and made headlines far beyond. Crowdsourcing campaigns have raised millions. Unofficial tributes like leaving hockey sticks outside the front door of homes or wearing hockey jerseys to work and school have swept the country. There's something so essentially Canadian about this tragedy, something very painful that all of Canada is feeling very deeply. And we all grieve for families who have so unexpectedly lost someone they love. We all grieve for that small town that's been crushed by such a heavy blow. And Chalice continues, as I've reflected upon this disaster, there's a, a thought that continues to haunt me. He said, it's the thought of young people who have heard the gospel, but they haven't yet decided what to do about it. I know of many people who are in the age range of those players, people who are in their teens or 20s, and many of them have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, but have not yet responded in repentance and faith. No, they haven't outright rejected the gospel. They just haven't decided whether they would believe or not. This is not unusual for young people. It's not uncommon for them to hear the good news, but to hold off, to delay, to wait for what seems like a more opportune time. They're young after all. They still have years, don't they? Perhaps not. I'm sure that every young man on that bus had dreams for the future. I'm sure that everyone was convinced that he had time left, but he didn't. See, God does not promise you another day. He doesn't promise you another moment. He doesn't call you to turn to him tomorrow or next week or at some unspecific point in the future. He calls on you to turn now at this very moment. It's my prayer that this tragedy serves as a sobering wake-up call to young people across the nation and across the world. It's my prayer that it will stir many to consider that the call to the gospel is urgent, that it must be heeded today. God promises you salvation now and heaven forever. You just turn to him, but he does not promise you tomorrow. The open arms of God in the patience of God doesn't mean, oh, he's waiting for tomorrow. Tomorrow will be Okay. It means today. He promises he'll take you in. But he doesn't promise you tomorrow. And sad would be the day if any of you would pass by the open arms of God as he waits patiently for people to come to repentance. Do you understand how great God is? Do you understand how gracious God is? Do you understand how patient God is? If you understand how great God is, you will enjoy him. And if you understand how gracious God is, you will delight in Him and you will extend grace to other people. If you know how patient God is, then you will turn in repentance to run to Him and to receive, have Him receive you into His open arms. Do you understand those things? Or are you like the Jewish people of Paul's day? And our day. They really didn't embrace these things. Didn't understand the greatness of God, the grace of God, the patience of God. I think that's the, the message that that Paul gives here at the end of chapter ten, explaining how Israel didn't understand because they didn't react, they didn't respond to these sorts of things. They they weren't stirred to jealousy enough to play with God, if you will. They they weren't understanding enough of the grace of God in the Gentiles. They they didn't see that grace needs to come to them, and they they didn't repent, run into the arms of God. I just you know Israel's unbelief in many ways. We work through Romans nine and ten can be parallel to us. I mean, they're religious. They know the blessing of God. And we as a church, we're religious. We know the blessings of God. We have the same danger. We've got to catch these things afresh. So I just pray that we would do that. So let me close my time in a a word of prayer. Father, I I pray, God, that, that these things would be true of us, that we would understand your greatness and your grace and your patience. That we realize that you are a God who is good for us, a God who looks for us and cares for us. I just thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that that He is the one who took on our our sin so that he might be the propitiation of his blood so that he might redeem us, and that we might be forever changed. God, I pray for us the church. God, whatever generation we're in, whether we're just um, fighting for that truth because we're new first-generation Christians or, or whether we're just kind of enjoying that and the full blessings of that, I pray, God, though, you'd protect us from being bored. God, that we would never find our, our boredom in you, never, never, never neglect you, but we always find you as our highest treasure, our highest joy, our highest delight and satisfaction. You died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And so, God, we do we do look to you in, in all ways. We, we pray, O oh God, that you would um, would help us in these things. God, we are not sufficient. I pray you'd God, just grant us favor as we cry out to you, God, for your help. I just would pray for us, the church. We think about a baptism service next Sunday. and That would be a, a, a true blessing to all of us. As we seek to just continue to move forward as a church that seeks to enjoy your grace and extend your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.